Good morning and welcome to Mayflower Church on this beautiful morning. Here we believe that faith is a journey, God is good, Jesus saves, and the Spirit leads us towards faith, hope, and love as we honor the dignity of all humanity. We're so glad that you're here on this beautiful morning. Some of you had a wonderful day yesterday and the other half of the state did not. So we are glad that you are all here together. We live in an amazing place that two teens can be together and um, families can be together throughout all that. We um, are missing Pastor Steve this morning. He and his beloved Atlanta Braves, he is at the World Series with his grandson. So he said that he'll be watching us this morning. So we miss you, Steve, if you are out there watching. If you happen to be in this sanctuary, please find the friendship register, sign it, and pass it along. If you are online, we have a new button for you to push that you can also let us know that you are here with us this morning. We hope that you notice the prayer cards in the pew rack. If you have a praise or a request to share this morning for our prayer list, please fill them out and the ushers will grab the cards during the middle hymn. Additionally, if you would simply like a personal prayer today, Ruth will be available here at the front of the sanctuary after the postlude. We have trunk or treat this afternoon from 2 to 4 in our parking lot. We invite you all to either come and be a person who gives out candy, or you're never too old to be someone who takes the candy. And today for our Blessed to be a Blessing stewardship announcement, we have John Stein from the House and Grounds Committee with us. morning. I had a good day yesterday, just to be clear. My name is John Stein. My wife, Katie, and my children, Dylan, Wyatt, and Elizabeth, have been members of Mayflower for their entire lives. I've been a, Mayf- I've been a member of Mayflower for 15 years. I'm the former chairperson of Mayflower's House and Grounds Committee, serving for five years. It was an honor and privilege to oversee maintain and manage this magnificent structure we call Mayflower Congregational Church. Built by devoted Mayflower members over 60 years ago, this building was constructed in the highest quality with attention to grace, detail, and longevity. That said, after 60 years, the building needs some love to keep it in the same great shape. Our committee works with the building manager to handle everyday maintenance along with both small and large repairs. Currently, the windows and decorative scrolls are being repaired on our iconic steeple. It will then be painted to keep it looking fresh. Outdated steeple flag spotlights will be replaced with bright, efficient LED lights to keep this beacon within the community shining brightly. We have recently replaced the boiler pump and controls for our heating system and interior LED lights so our mechanical and electrical systems can run efficiently, along with being good environmental stewards to our community. Finally, we are in the process of partnering with an interior plantscaping expert to keep our beloved atrium a healthy and inviting space. We are blessed to have this magnificent structure as our church home. Your House and Grounds Committee is devoted to keeping our structure in good shape so we can serve our members and our community with a safe and welcoming space. 
We were able to host homeless families through our interfaith hospitality network, provide community preschool, and support many Christian outreach programs such as church services, concerts, midweek activities, Bible studies, weddings, funerals, and the Boy Scouts. A long and varied list of activities included in that that I have not mentioned. To no surprise, it takes resources to maintain this beautiful building, and we need everyone's help toward that effort. Through proactive planning and a House and Grounds Committee budget that we oversee, Mayflower can continue to be a blessing to our members, guests, and community for years to come. Thank you very much. I want to begin today by reminding you about tomorrow's concert in the atrium, dedicating our Bösendorfer piano. Many of you here today uh, donated towards that, uh, the purchase of that piano, and tomorrow we celebrate you and the instrument and our space here. Um, I also want to mention that today is the first time that our handbell choir is ringing and worship since early 2020. So it's a very special day for me, and I think they contribute a lot to our worship experience. And it's a fun group, and I want to encourage anyone who might want to join us. We, are, we have brought out two octaves of bells. The church owns five octaves. If we get more people ringing bells, we get to bring out the really big bells and the really little ones. So come talk to me after if you would like to join us. We rehearse on Wednesdays at 6 o'clock. And today being Reformation, uh, you will see a mighty fortress as our opening hymn, and you will hear snippets of that familiar hymn throughout in the organ music. There are lots and lots of organ music based on that uh, Martin Luther hymn, which is a paraphrase of Psalm 46. And we also have a, a hymn that we're singing. Our closing hymn is not from our hymnal. It's printed uh, on page four, I believe, or five in your hymnal uh, in your bulletin uh, words are by Shirley Arena Murray she is a hymn writer from New Zealand that just passed away in 2020 and um, writes specifically with uh, an eye towards social justice and um, as we talk about acting as a church and including others um, she brings just beautiful imagery to her text. It's a familiar tune, but you'll see, for example, in verse 4, what does it mean to be the body of Christ or community of Christ? Our currency be love and kindliness our law.
Join me in the call to worship. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. A mighty fortress is our God, never failing. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge.
Let us join our hearts together in our opening prayer. Holy and mighty God, we acknowledge that 504 years ago today, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the church door, ushering in the Protestant Reformation. On this Reformation Sunday, we sing his words about how you are a mighty fortress and how the world may threaten to undo us, but we will not fear because your truth will triumph through us. May this be so. May we live these words as we sing them. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
I'd like to invite all the children worshiping with us this morning to come forward at this time. Good morning. It's so fun to see each of you. So we spend a lot of time in groups, don't we? Okay, so who of you has a reading group at school? A reading group? Yeah. You sit with a reading group? Math group? Do you have a math group at school? Yeah. Yeah. And then you get a little older, and you become a part of a text group when you become, I don't know, high school or middle school. And so we do a lot of groups in our lives. So I wanted to do a group here at church. Okay, Gretchen, can you hold this end of the string? Just hold the string. All right, so I got a string because that way I can kind of tell where my group is. So Marco, I'm going to take it around you. Oh, good. Okay. Whoopsie-doo. Okay, so I have this group of the three of you here at Mayflower. Okay, well, I'm going to wait a second, Claire. I don't know if I have enough string, so you just sit tight. Okay, so I have this group. Oh, my goodness, this is such a wonderful group. You all are together. You're all within my group. How does that feel? Does that feel pretty good? You're all in the right group. Claire, how do you feel? That's kind of stinky, isn't it? I know, I know. Okay, well, fortunately, look, I have enough string. Here, let's go ahead. Let's bring you into my group. Oh, phew, Claire, I have enough string. Okay, all right, now I have this wonderful group. How do you think everyone around us feels? They don't get to be in our group, do they? No, I'd want to be in your group if I was them. But look, I have more string. Do you think my string could get around all of us in one big group? Maybe. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? If it was my whole ball of string. So then it would be awesome. We would have our Mayflower Sunday morning church group. But what about the people outside our string. They would feel pretty rotten not being inside our group, wouldn't they? Yeah. So that's where you think, what would God do in this time? Do you think God has string that he makes groups? The cool and amazing thing about God is he doesn't have string. For God, there are no groups. We all can come together No matter who we are, what we do, what we look like, where we go to church, because with no string and no boundary in our group, we all can come in any time we want. And that's not always easy to do at school, is it, to let everyone in our groups, whether it's our reading groups, our lunch groups, our friend groups. But the more welcoming we are, the more joyous and loving our hearts are. Will you pray with me, please? 
Lord, we are thankful that you are God that invites and that you invite us and that you give us the heart and spirit to always invite all of those around us to come into our presence and into your presence. May we be like that all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, I am going to dismiss you to Mrs. Coster and Mrs. Conway for Bible Alive and Bible Beginnings. So let's go downstairs.
Good morning. The reading this morning comes from Acts 10, verses 1 through 23, and can be found beginning on page 778 in your Pew Bible. Beginning with verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then the voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, we invite you 
to invade this space. Lead us with visions like you did for Peter and Cornelius. Help us to be open to what you have to show us this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our oldest son started college last year. The pandemic college experience was certainly not awesome. He ended up transferring to a different college second semester. Once on campus, it was hard to meet people. Gatherings were limited or discouraged. Students wore masks. And despite his best intentions, he said that the students were clicky. Clicky. Clicks are everywhere, aren't they? Groups that deem who's in, who's out, who's popular, who's not popular. What feelings do these terms elicit in you? Perhaps you're someone who's never struggled with feeling left out or not popular. That would be highly unusual. Most of us have experienced being on the outside of a group or a clique, and this can be particularly painful. Maybe you didn't make the team, but all your friends did. Or you weren't invited out with the boss, and all your coworkers were. Or there were only six concert tickets, and you're the seventh friend, so you didn't get to go. So many scenarios play out this reality. We can often feel like the odd person out. Particularly crushing for young people are all the social media photos, all your friends posting a group shot, and you realize they were together without you. This can be soul-crushing. Some have said that Mayflower's clicky. Churches are certainly not immune to this. Are we clicky? I don't know. Maybe it feels that way to some of our members and visitors. See, there's this human tendency to gather with people who are like us, people with similar backgrounds, socioeconomic status, people who look like us or sound like us, people who believe what we believe. It's just easier, isn't it? There's so many things we don't need to explain or justify. And, of course, there's a blessing to be found in community, to be found in intimacy, being close to those in an inner circle. Of course that's true. Yet can our community become a circle wrapped in string, an exclusive group? Can we slide into being clicky without even realizing it? And does this happen especially as we get older? My son is on campus desperately seeking friends. And praise God, by the way, he does have a few now. So we're very thankful for that. But am I looking for new friends? Sometimes I lament that I can't spend time with the friends I already have. Yet life has a way of bringing new people across our paths all the time. Do we make space for this? Are we ready to be surprised by who God might lead us to? Well, there are a lot of surprises in our text this morning, so I recommend if you want to open your pew Bible and follow along, you might be surprised. Acts chapter 10 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, truly one of my favorites, and maybe it's in your top 10, too. But to evaluate whether we love this passage or not, we might need to look again at what on earth is happening to Peter and Cornelius and the others mentioned. 
We start with Cornelius, who's military personnel. He's a Gentile, he's a Roman, a person clearly outside of Judaism. He's actually part of the empire that persecutes Christians, so he is one of those people. We are introduced to him in Acts 10, where it's stated that, of course, this is who he is. Yet immediately, the narrative turns to the fact that he is devout. This is unexpected. He prays and gives generously to the poor. So we might assume that he's kind of atypical. Then, astoundingly, he has a vision of an angel of the Lord. And he recognizes this angel, and he addresses this presence. What is it, Lord? And there are instructions which he follows. So we have someone clearly on the outside, yet he seems to have a reverence and, dare we say, relationship with God. So cut to the next scene in verse 9, and we switch from Cornelius to Peter. What on earth is Peter up to? Peter and his compatriots are traveling around the region, sharing this incredible Jesus story with Jewish believers spread all over the Roman Empire. Peter and his friends are in Joppa, and he is praying. And it's time for lunch. He's hungry. And he falls into a trance. And in this trance, he has a vision. Wait, didn't Cornelius just have a vision? Now Peter has a vision. But Peter's vision is super weird. Heaven opens in a large sheet, or some Bible translations say a big blanket is lowered with all kinds of creatures on it. All kinds, and that's very key. Because keep in mind, these first followers of Jesus were Jewish. Jewish in all ways, and dedicated to following the Jewish law, which includes eating only kosher food. They understood that this is how you live a life dedicated to God. This is how you show the world that you're part of a special covenant with the one true God. When this voice from this vision commands Peter to go kill and eat these non-kosher animals, this is shocking. This is blasphemy. Do you think maybe Peter thought he was being punked? Or this is some kind of trick, not a treat? Maybe. Peter insists he's not that kind of guy. He would never, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that's unclean. Does that sound familiar? Do we sometimes sound like Peter? Well, I don't associate with those people. I don't travel to those places. I don't look that way or live that way or vote that way. I would never. The Judaic laws were so strict and so clear and so essential for maintaining a Jewish way of life. I'm not always sure we can wrap our minds around how key this was in being identified as people of God. But it was very important to Peter, clearly. The next verse, verse 15, is critical. This voice, this voice from heaven says, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. The message translation of the Bible puts it this way. If God says it's okay, it's okay. And the Living Bible reads, don't contradict God. If he says something is kosher, then it is. As a child growing up in the church, I found the imagery of this sheet and all these animals floating down from heaven pretty 
bizarre and kind of captivating. But when the story was explained, it was often boiled down to the most essential detail. This is why it's okay to eat bacon. I've heard many sermons based on this text that focus on Peter sharing the story of Jesus with Cornelius, which happens later in chapter 10. That we are to be like Peter, ready, willing, and able to go to those who might know God or be spiritually curious, but they're kind of missing that Jesus piece, missing the best part of the story, God's humanity and God's sacrifice and God's triumph through Jesus, this reality that we get to live eternally because death has been conquered once and for all. As Rachel mentioned a few Sundays ago, this gospel is a good story, the best story. So, of course, this is a story we want to share. Yet, is this the point, the only point of Acts 10? Well, let's look a little closer at who Cornelius represents. The text tells us, of course, that he's part of the Roman military. And the Jews at this time are living under military occupation. They're not warm fuzzies between the Romans and the Jews. They're also considered different races. So embedded in this statement that Cornelius is a centurion is an understanding that military and racial tensions run deep. Now in the narrative, the visions of the two men collide. The men Cornelius sent find Peter, fresh from his post-vision stupor, and he is challenged to reconcile that a centurion had a vision too. One could argue that for Peter... A Roman centurion is the last person he would have wanted to share the story of Jesus with. The last person he would have thought God cared about. His response to the non-kosher food mirrors his feelings about Gentiles. They are unclean. They are unworthy. Cornelius is considered to be one of the first Gentiles converted to Christianity, and this sparked a huge debate among the early church as to who is in and who is out. Cornelius and his family at the end of chapter 10 end up all being baptized. And this is an important event in the history of the Christian church because the church was first formed around the original disciples and followers of Jesus, all of whom, including Jesus, were Galilean or Judean and followed the law of Moses. So perhaps this text is not just about Peter sharing the gospel with Cornelius as much as it is about Peter being blown away by who is included in this amazing story. Is this narrative about Peter's conversion as much as it is about Cornelius's? Which begs the question for us, do we all need to be constantly converted Do we all need to be keenly aware of who we have placed outside, consciously or not? Who is our modern-day Cornelius? Is it someone outside of our gender, orientation, race, socioeconomic group, or religion? Who are our current military enemies of a different race? Do we need a broader vision of where God is moving and who God is drawing to God's self? Maybe. 
Many years ago, my husband Jeff and I were part of a church that had a global outreach initiative focused on North Africa. Our outreach team felt called to find out how God was working in that part of the world. If you know anything about this region, it's 100% Muslim. In countries like Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, and Libya, it's illegal to be a Christian. So how are any of these people going to hear the message of Christ? The good story. The risk is incredibly high for anyone to talk about Jesus or gather together in Christian community. And there's an organization that gathers the leaders and pastors of what is considered the underground church of North Africa. This group orchestrates an annual conference in Europe, kind of neutral territory in Europe, and it is top secret. If the identities of these leaders are leaked to their governments, they will be jailed or worse. So one year I was able to travel to this conference to meet with these leaders. How did they learn about Jesus in the first place? How could they, in a closed country with limited access to things like Bibles or Bible studies, and there's rampant censorship as to what is put on the airwaves, the TV, or in publishing? You know what? Again and again, I heard stories about visions. Visions, like the one Peter had, the one Cornelius had. Jesus visions. Isn't this fascinating? The visions Peter and Cornelius had led them to each other, and the expansion of the gospel ensued, spreading out to all the Gentiles. We are here today in this beautiful church because of this critical moment in the movement of believers in the first century. Peter was able to grasp that God's plan includes everyone. There is no person or group we get to deem unclean if God says otherwise. At this gathering of North African pastors and leaders, there was a time of worship. I stood in the back of a hotel conference room and observed the group singing and praising. It was stunning. In their home countries, they had to worship in secret. They had to be quiet. They had to be stealth in how they shared the Jesus story. But here, in a conference room in Europe, among other Christians, they were able to sing praises to God freely. They sang loud, so loud. And they opened their arms in praise. They hugged one another, and they wore these enormous smiles. And their joy was infectious. This is how I picture Cornelius and his family. Because in Acts 10, the story continues with Peter traveling with Cornelius to his home, saying, you know, I'm sure that this is highly irregular. Jews just don't do this. Visit and relax with people of another race. But God has shown me that no race is better than any other. And in verse 33, Cornelius replies, I sent for you, and you've been good enough to come. And now we're all here in God's presence, ready to listen to whatever the master put in your heart to tell us. Peter has a fantastic response in verse 34. He fairly explodes with his good news. It's God's own truth. He says nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. 
If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The message he sent to the children of Israel, that through Jesus Christ, everything is being put together again. Well, he's doing it everywhere, among everyone. Peter goes on to explain who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And picking up the narrative in verse 44, no sooner were these words out of Peter's mouth than the Holy Spirit came on the listeners. The believing Jews would come with Peter. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on an outsider, a non-Jew, but there it was. They heard them speaking in tongues and heard them praising God. Praising God. Freely and openly praising God and celebrating the good story, the best story. Peter says God plays no favorites, and the result of this is phenomenal. I like how my friend Naomi spins this. She tells everyone she encounters, you're God's favorite. You are, and you are, and you are God's favorite. In God's economy, we are all favorites, precious, loved, worthy. This is the message we get to share with those we encounter. And we are constantly invited to grow in our understanding of who is in who is included, who God loves and how God operates, how big the click is and how long our string is. Nothing is impossible with God. So are we ready to be surprised? Are we ready for a vision? In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are blessed to be a blessing. As you give to the Ministry of Mayflower, here in person, online, or via text, please know that you are a huge part of the blessings of Mayflower. Thank you. The ushers will now come forward to wait upon you.
Lord, how honored we are to give back to you what we acknowledge is already yours. May our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings be used to bring glory and honor to you forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. I'm trying something new with this mic because nobody can ever hear me. So (laughs) we're shaking it up. I got thumbs up in the back. Okay, you can hear me. Great. Now it's time for is the time for our congregational prayer, and I want to thank you. Every week, uh, several of you fill in prayer cards, and it's just a beautiful thing. Whether you're putting someone on the prayer list or prayer this morning, um, as we grow as being people of prayer, it's just a wonderful, wonderful privilege. And again, I will be available after the postlude if you would just like some personal prayer this morning. So let's join our hearts together for our congregational prayer this morning. Holy God, our hearts are full of gratitude. Gratitude for a brave Martin Luther, who at great personal risk 500 years ago, did something so bold to usher in a reformation and change. Help us to be open to change in whatever ways we need to be reformed and transformed into your image. Thank you for this beautiful place of worship that we get to gather together, that we are now joining our hearts together in such a divine and supernatural way. Again, Lord, we are so full of gratitude. As we are blessed to be a blessing, let this gratitude and this blessing spill out from us and from this place. And Lord, we want to acknowledge that in our spirit of gratitude and blessing, there's also great pain. We pray for those who are grieving this morning. We pray for Chuck Law's family as Chuck, a longtime member, passed away this week. We pray for peace and comfort for his family. And we pray for the family of Cheryl Westveer, a dear friend of Joan Buchanan, who passed away this week. We pray for peace and comfort for Joanne and for this family. And we know, Lord, that many people in this room are grieving, that grief comes in waves. It can surprise us and threaten to overcome us. So, Lord, I do pray that you are with those who are grieving. And, Lord, be with those who are facing illness, those who are recovering, and those who face huge decisions this week. May your supernatural wisdom and peace invade our hearts as we go forward into our work week, into our week full of activities that we would just glow with your spirit. May we be people of your Holy Spirit. May we be people open to visions. May we, be, may we be people open to who you have to show us and what you have to show us and where you are to have us go. May we be truly led by your spirit. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, will you fall afresh on us this morning.
And now, Lord, we add our voices to what's in our hearts as we pray together the prayer Jesus taught the disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We are debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, power, Amen.
As a benediction, I want to repeat the words of the Apostle Paul. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The message he sent to the children of Israel that through Jesus Christ, everything is being put together again. Well, he's doing it everywhere, among everyone. So may the peace and love of Christ surround you. Amen.